Welcome to this week's installment of Keeping Track. My guest today hails from Waterford and after he emigrated to London spending 20 years as a social worker, he returned to Ireland and became the proprietor of a business that is essential to any city's cred. It is a business that provides all age groups with tangible artefacts that give access to oral cultures and scenes from all over the world, past and present. Its doors are open six days a week and it is always a welcoming and non-judgmental place to spend some time and peruse the sonic bins. Before this intro gets even more flowery, without further ado, I'm on Camden Palace with the extremely affable and knowledgeable John Dwyer from Bunker Vinyl. Hi Dave, how's it going? Thanks for coming on John. Oh, you're welcome, thanks a million man. Do you want to ease us in with your first tune there before yeah. we have a chat? So it's um, New Model Army and the song is called The Green and the Grey and um, it's just always been one of my favourite songs. Drift away is on the bus ride that meanders up these valleys of green grey. I get to think about what might have been and what may yet come true, and I get to pass the rainy mile thinking of you. That call to the land of gold and poison that beckons to our soul. Nothing changes here very much. You used to say it never will. The pubs are all full on Friday nights, and things get started still. Spent hours last week with Billy Boy Bleeding, yeah, queuing in casualty Stand those posters we used to laugh at Never, never laugh Palm trees by the sea Well, there was no need for those guys To hurt him so bad When all they had to do was knock him down But no one asked too many questions like anymore since you left this town and tomorrow brings another train another young train steals away but you're the one I remember from these valleys the green and the grey
new model army with uh, green and grey and uh, probably the song I listen to most um, since I'm like 12, 13 I think. Will we go back to the start? Just yeah. interested in how you ended up in London and how you became a social worker. Uh, God I was always um, always wanted to go to London and had like been over and visits and stuff you know to family and stuff over to Camden in the 90s and it's just all I told about London was music to be honest and um, yeah I just ended up emigrating over when I was 18 um, my dad always laughed he said you can't go till you're 18 so I went the day after my 18th birthday and um, off I went on the Slattery's bus yeah. <laughs> yeah. and where did you end up when you got there? ended up living in Slough um, in West London first and then moved to Ealing which was where Thames Valley University was so I was doing the mental health nursing at the time so it was about 1996 or so I think yeah so I started as a mental health nurse there and then kind of progressed into adult social services and child social services all the time with kind of healing in different boroughs around London. Did you do that for the whole time you were in London? Yeah, yeah, basically I ended up working, um, uh, my job title would have been daycare social worker. So I was working with profoundly disabled adults um, who had challenging behaviour, some had drug addiction, dual diagnosis, mental health, plus learning disabilities, a lot of social issues, but had probably 150 clients a day come into our day centre. Busy old place. You went to London for the music. Did you get to see yeah. much music while you were doing oh, that? Oh, it was non-stop. Like, I think um, my studies in the first year kind of uh, didn't go too well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, London in the 90s was fantastic. We were out, like, every 
every other night basically. Um, started drum and bass, jungle, all the different techno nights. Got introduced to the London squat scene, free party scene, and just always like living around gigs and yeah, just constant. Man. It was yeah. just London was great in those days. Like, yeah. Were you DJing as well? DJing as well. I hooked up with a friend of mine and he was established on the scene. We actually ended up living in the same house. So ended up DJing like I'd say 15 years in London, predominantly on the free party scene, squats, which don't really exist there that much anymore. And then a lot of like uh, underground parties around England. Yeah. While you were living in London, was that maybe where the seeds of having a record shop Oh, yeah, like since I'm, my dad always told me I was about 10 when I said I first wanted my own record shop. Eight years of age, my dad let me put my first record on the record player, and that's it. I've been obsessed ever since. So, and then well, I used to play shop and sell him back his records in the, in the house when I was a kid. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's from an early age. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I would imagine in the 90s in London, you were definitely spoiled for choice. Oh, it was crazy. Like, there was so many good record shops at the time. But um, there was real, like, scene there as well. You know, it was like we used to go to Bar Rumba every Thursday night, the beginnings of drum and bass. Then you go to Black Market on a Saturday and you'd mm. try to buy the records that you'd hear heard maybe a month before, but they were only on white labels or test pressings, so you couldn't get them. So it was really elitist kind of scene at the time, you know. You'd walk into the shop, ask for those two records, and it'd be like, sorry, you can't have those there for someone else. A stack in order of importance, you know. And um, yeah, some of the records you wanted, you just couldn't get. You know, yeah, it was weird, weird scene. <laughs> and how did you climb up the the, the just, ladder of importance? Just basically being out all the time. Like you, I know it sounds stupid, but it became kind of like I'd go out Wednesday night, Paul Trouble Anderson at the loft. Thursday night was Bar Rumba. Friday night was Blue Note. Saturday night was Mr. C's Club at the end. So you kind of, I always say to people, I went out one Friday night and came back 15 years later. <laughs> and I think that's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. But it's just been engrossed in the scene, you know. My brother would have moved to London with his band in 1996. Yeah. So that was the first time... I, I would have went over one yeah. summer. It was absolutely mind blowing. It was yeah. around, it was ninety six my first time in yeah, London, and yeah. it was fifteen at the time. Yeah. Wow. And it was incredible. And yeah. I just remember walking around Camden, and it was it was just heaving. It was, and it was just culture days, everywhere. Yeah. And it was it was really a kind of a sensory overload yeah. for me. I remember when I got back home. I remember thinking, I've got to get out of here. You yeah, know? I was the exact same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, in that sense, you were there for the home. When what year did you go there? I moved over in ninety five. Oh, ninety five. Yeah. yeah, at the time, like there was so many different scenes that were like just you know, obviously electronic was massive, you know. But I was also into kind of like the punk scene, um, industrial. So we like I could never stick with one type of music. So I was always different stuff, you know, be bands during the week. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kentish Town Forum. I always knew it was the town and country club. I was just amazed when I was like, what, this is in the middle of Kentish Town? Like, what's this about? Yeah. <laughs> but I had loads of um, bootleg recordings from that venue. So to actually go in there for the first time was just like, wow, that's incredible, you know. Yeah. I love that place. So still my favourite venue in London, I think. Was that your stomping ground as well, Kentish Town? Yeah, Park, I lived in Camden then from 97 to about 99. And then we moved to Brighton for a few years. But um, yeah, Camden was a great spot back in those days. But as you say, there was just, it was just so overwhelming. There was so much going on. You just spoiled for choice. What I remember really vividly was Camden was yeah. a different world to Brixton. Oh, completely different. And that was, yeah. um, that blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. You could have that in one city. Yeah. yeah. And I like, I lived in West London, which was very, um, the Asian community was massive, you know. And um, it was like, we were just, 
like I was so innocent when I moved to London first. I didn't understand the difference in Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims and stuff. And just because I was a country kid, you know, so London for me in the old early days was like genuine, innocent questions of what's that man wearing on his head, lads? And they're like, man, you're a country bumpkin. They're Sikhs, you know. <laughs> like, but I just never had exposure. So, and then I found Indian music, tabla, people like Talvin Singh were busting up at the time, you know, and just a whole, you know, there's a melting pot of music. So, you know, you could go to a reggae night in Brixton and just be amazed and go up to Camden and go to a punk night. And then East London was all the squats at the time, Old Kent Road, mm. Hackney, all those places were just industrial estates and no one really lived there. So it was great, you know. Do you want to yeah. give us a tune there, John? Yeah, so the second one would be one of my favourite bands, like my Desert Island disc has always been the Breeders Pod, but Breeders, song called Iris. So here it is.
So uh, that was the Breeders with Iris. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. 20 years in London. Um, what made you move back to Ireland? Well, I'm a man of my word and the Tory government unfortunately took over our council and they just started closing down all of our services. Um, I had spent like 15, well, no, sorry, 14 years working on a kind of garden project for people with disabilities big outdoor place we had lovely facilities everything and then they just started to cut cut they closed down adults respite center children's respite center and just started to privatize the care industry uh, i just couldn't work on in private care it was i always think you should never privatize care you know so i just decided that's it that's the push i need to leave london so after 20 years i was like sorry i, I can't work for you crowd so i just handed in my notice and um, decided that was it back to Ireland so 1985 to 2015 yeah, in London. yeah 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 long time but I just thought you know I just didn't want to turn into that old Irish man that was sat in pubs going oh you've been here 30 years kind of thing you know which can happen really easy in London as well <laughs> so yeah. yeah 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 so good move to get home like yeah, I used to work in the halfway house in Camden yeah, and yeah. it was like predominantly the daytime trade was old Irish, Irish lads, lads that were like yeah, retired yeah. builders and yeah, you know, yeah. dreaming of home that yeah. they couldn't go they back couldn't to either. They couldn't go back to like, yeah, yeah. Um, I always found really sad and I was really conscious of that as a, as a 19 year old over there, you know. Same, like it, it was something that I think we were all told about as well, don't end up like that old Irish guy in the pub, you know, I've been here 30 years, I've never been home kind of thing. So I think like you, I was conscious of it as well, you know, didn't want to get stuck and be an old man in London, like, and it sounds as a stereotype, but it, it is, so many old men end up there, you know, all Irish guys, and yeah. Yeah, like you said, in the pub trade, you just see them all the time. Like, yeah. Um. So when you moved back to Ireland, where did you end up first? Did you go back to Waterford? Or? Yeah, I had to. Um. After a long time of independence, I had to move back in with my mum, which is a bit of a shock. But <laughs> the from when I was looking at coming home to the time I got home, the prices of accommodation just went through the roof. So I just ended up back with my mum for a while, and um, was like, right, what do I do with myself now? And it was just a month or two of kind of detoxing from London and going, okay, new life. Yeah, kind of worked in reverse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Was it a big shock just um, the day to day? A bit of a shock, but it was kind of, it was one of those moves that, you know, when you just become stubborn in your head and gone, right, I'm going to do it. No matter what happens, I'm going to make something out of this, you know, yeah. just take take something good from it but um, I'm really lucky I live by the sea well my parents live by the sea in Dungarvan so came back in the summertime so kind of had a first kind of holiday I suppose for a good while you know London kind of you just keep going it's just a machine so it was nice to get away and actually relax from it like all right, John, let's take another tune. Rage Against the Machine, just with those bands that, you know, saw them live back in the day in 92 or 3 and just bomb track. Just It's just amazing. I love it. It'll always be that track that I love.
That was Bomb Track by Rage Against the Machine. That was picked by my guest today, John Dwyer from Bunker Vinyl. John, how did yeah. you end up in Cork then from Waterford? Well, I when I got back, I was looking for kind of an opportunity um, just to be self-employed, really. And um, found out about Mother Jones Market, um, which is just off McCurtain Street. And um, just decided to jump on the bus to Cork one day, had a look around the market and thought, yeah, I could start selling T-shirts or something here and just go for a go, you know. And um, because I'm such a music fan and stuff, I came back from England with stupid amount of records and a lot of t-shirts so i just ended up selling my t-shirt collection to get a start and um it just kind of progressed from weekend to weekend and i was at mother jones for probably six months started selling some of my records and then it just kind of grew from there yeah how did you end up down here in bunker i was looking for a property in the city and luckily came upon this place in camden place the landlord had it rented out as an office and i said look can I open a shop in there? He was like, yep, do whatever you want. Once you pay the rent, happy days. So kind of just, it was, I only looked at one property in Cork and that was where the bunker is now. So very lucky to find it. Been here seven years since. When I started off, I was kind of selling off a lot of my own stuff. And then luckily two of my old housemates in London are actually record dealers. I was just buying directly from those. They sell at record fairs in England. And because we've been friends for years and years, they knew what kind of music I needed. So I had a really good supply chain from the very beginning, you know. Yeah. So that just really helped getting things established. And it's kind of just grown day by day, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just kind of grows, you know. And how was it when the first day you opened your first record shop? <sighs> Absolutely <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> it was all cardboard boxes. It was last minute everything. But um, I knew there was like friends were helping me, and it just seemed a bit daunting. But I knew once I got the doors open, that was it. It it'd just work out you and know did you get a yeah. sense from other Jones that there was a need for it there was a want for it yeah definitely in Cork like there's always been such music heads in Cork like Cork for me was like the city I went out as a teenager gigs in Henry's or wherever but Cork always seemed to be like the city for me to move back to because it's kind of good size it didn't feel as big as Dublin it's you know close to home as well so I've always really liked Cork you know so it just seemed like the right place for me to go to like yeah give us another tune there John yeah and uh, the next one is I'm probably saying this wrong now but it's Amadou and Amada it's an African track and it's basically just really happy music so here we go <laughs> Chérie, ne bife, cana 
Okay, John. Um, so you've been at this now for eight years? Yeah, yeah. We're in the seventh year of the shop now. So yeah, yeah. It's flying along. So yeah, time just goes so quickly in here. I get a real sense of community when I come in here. And I just wonder, how long did it take for that to evolve? Do you know, it's a funny one. Like, um, as we talk about London before, there's a real elitism in some record shops in London where you're they're just too cool for school. So I always wanted to be like the old school record shop. Like um, I used to always love Comet on Washington Street. You know, it was a mix of every type of music. You just walked in, Jim or George were there and it was just, they never judged you in what you were buying, you know. And I've always said there's only two types of music, stuff you like and you don't like. So I just want to be friendly in the shop. And if you come in and ask for whatever record, it's not up to me to judge i'm just here to facilitate you know so yeah. i think a good record shop is just somewhere where you feel comfortable i want to this place i always think of i try to fashion it on what comet was like in the 90s that's what i always think is like remember what that shop was like and then try make it here and avoid the snobby london ones <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i'm just trying to get a sense between when you started like how long did it take for people to realize it was here and that kind of sense of community to evolve around yeah. then did it take I'd, time i'd say like the first year or so like um it's funny people are still discovering us now yeah. you know and they're like what you've been here seven years i never knew you know but i kind of prefer that it's word of mouth and people just kind of find a place but i think like the first year or so um the sense of community was lovely people just wanted to see you succeed you know there was yeah. a lot of help and support from um cork music heads and stuff and djs telling other djs about the place and it just kind of grew organically which is lovely as well yeah rather than being Forced on instagram people, yeah, every day no no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so in your eight years here in bunker do yeah. you see trends coming and going like particular demographics buying certain records yeah do you see it, that happening it's so funny like you'll um you'll see you know kids coming in and you know when they're getting into the heavier stuff that there's a progression they'll start with i don't know arctic monkeys and then they'll go on to another band and a lot of kids will end up at swans swans seems to be the natural progression or melvins yeah. you know and it's i do call a lot of the kids indie kids indie kids kids their dads are like 40 to 50 they kind of grew up around records so they had them in the house you know and then you get kids coming in going oh yeah my dad's got really good music taste he's into stone roses or whatever you know and he's really old you're like oh how old's your dad he's always oh, 42 okay right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i think um metal heads as well metal really all the metal fans in cork will support you so well which is great to see a scene because the metal lads they tend to buy records all the time it's one of those scenes where they just love collecting records so i'm really lucky in that i've got a really good support network of like metal fans and then you've got people who are into indie or whatever but there's certain genres of music that you see customers getting into heavier and heavier and heavier stuff if that makes sense totally it yeah. seems to be coming back metal seems to be coming back metal, really. yeah, yeah yeah and metal's always been around but like at the moment you got some great bands in cork really good scene that's yeah. promoting stuff so you know i think it's it's great to see like yeah yeah, metalers are sound. Let's have a track yeah, for metalers. So yeah, it's not quite metal, but Sonic Youth 100% was a massive inspiration because it was the first time I saw skateboarders as well. And I've always been into skating, so it kind of was like the soundtrack in my head of what a skater should be. I can never forget you
exotic chick is mine All I know is you got no money That's got nothing to do with a good time But can you forgive the boy who Shot you in the head Or should you get a gun That was Sonic Ute with 100% and that was picked by my guest today, John Dwyer from Bunker Vinyl. John, could you tell us about some of the more interesting or rare records you have sold in the shop? Yeah, it's funny, like, um, you get, I had one customer turned up with a very peculiar psych rock collection, but it had a couple of the Charles Manson albums in there, um, which was a little yeah. bit strange, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, I'd known about the album and I know it was recorded in prison and he got people to smuggle out, but I'd never actually seen the record. And yeah, I think that was definitely, without a doubt, the strangest record that's been in the shop. Didn't even want to sell it, so it's still in a collection, in my collection, because I don't, part of me just doesn't want to sell it to someone. It's, it feels too weird. It just feels like a creepy piece of music. And then you look at, um, like I always laugh when people come in to sing at you. That's um, probably my favourite part of the shop, you know. <laughs> someone comes in and they've got a tune stuck in their head and they'll just gladly sing it away at you, you know. And it's can be funny and it can be just like, what is that song? <laughs> you know, um, I sell a range of every type of music, so um, it kind of changes all the time. Yeah, what's popular, what's new. There's no one band or genre that I could pinpoint that, you know, all the time except Fleetwood Mac Rumours, which is pretty much what keeps every record shop alive. Are you serious? It's like Fleetwood Mac Rumours pays the bills. <laughs> yeah, it's as simple as that. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah. Is there any genre that you get requested that you it pains you to, to have? Or does it matter to you at all? Does that matter? Uh, it doesn't really matter at all. Like, um, I'm probably, uh, Oasis are the one band I really don't like uh, in just that I lost a really good punk gig because I refused to play Oasis. They're not punk, so, you know, the yeah. bar, bar owner was adamant I would play Oasis. I said, no, sorry, and I lost a gig. So I've still got a little hatred towards Oasis. <laughs> yeah. Give us another tune there, John. Yeah, so, um, like, I've always been massively into electronic music and stuff but um my favorite track of that era is orbital belfast um i heard him drop that tune for one of the first times in queens in belfast and i still remember that night just being amazing we drove from dungarvan 
a little Ford Escort, four of us, and got to see Orbital's first gig in Belfast, and it was amazing. So here you go, Orbital Belfast.
That was Belfast by Orbital and that was picked by my guest today, John Dwyer from Bunker Vinyl. John, I know you're here since 2015, so this mightn't be a relevant question, but have you seen record retailing changing since you started out? Yeah, it's like, the. I think like for every record um, seller in Ireland, the biggest change really has been Brexit. That's like the, the big one for us. Before Brexit happened, you could get virtually any record you wanted ordered on a Monday, it was here by Friday, you know, but then all, most of the press and plants, distribution centres, labels are all based in England. So, like, everyone had such a massive shift after Brexit. Everyone was trying to scramble for European distributors, you know, and they got to the point in Europe where they had too many customers. So it was actually hard to get a distributor. There was a point where I was, like, literally begging record sellers to go, please, can I have your records? I've got the money, you know, but... Sh- supply was in shortage due to Brexit, you know, which was an implication some of us knew about, but we never thought it'd be that bad, you know, so the price went up by 28% overnight, plus import duties and VAT as well, so it kind of eliminated you being able to buy some of the smaller labels, records, you know, the ones that you really want to support, but then Sony, Warner, Universal kind of taken over, basically, yeah, so it's big changes in distribution um, yeah since definitely that's the biggest change it seems though that independent record stores like Bunker have prevailed against say the bigger chains like yep, yep. you know HMV, HMV and Virgin and those. yeah 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 and yep. do you just see more purveyors of music people who are more diehard music fans yeah do you know it's funny um, I have, on a Saturday I think 50% of my customers um, have uh, been to buy a book at um, Vibes and Scribes. You know, I see the same bags nearly every Saturday. And I think a lot of my customers will spend their Saturday morning browsing for a book, will come in, buy a record, and then their afternoon is spent reading and listening to a record. It's so funny the way um, people still love, love looking through records and kind of the whole browsing thing and taking your time, you know. So I think for some people, it's kind of still a real ritual that their yeah. weekend is spent, you know, go and get a book, buy a record, off you go home, you know. And then during the week, you'll find all the old lads coming into you looking for Elvis records. doesn't matter what's on the cover. Once there's a different picture of Elvis, they'll buy it, you know. So there's still different groups of buyers. You get a lot of new young kids coming in um, after seeing Stranger Things. I think I had 20 young girls coming in looking for Kate Bush, Mm. you know, instantly the day after I sold out every Kate Bush record I had, you know. So you see trends, but... The, the kind of demographic of buying is everything from, I think my youngest customer is nine and the eldest is 82. Yeah, just kind of changes the whole time as well. Is there a particular genre that does really well here? Uh, indie, basically. Like at the moment, Slow Dive, um, Sylvaki is just ridiculous. It's like 20, 25 copies a week, but it's all teenagers buying it. And for me, that's an old album now. You know, Neutral Milk Hotel, the same. Certain um, shoegaze has become really, really popular again. Mm-hmm. It's massive, you know. Yeah. And in Cork, is there much is there much want for reggae and dub? Yes, yeah, there's still always a good scene. you got Revelation Sound System still, you know, holding the flag for Cork. Um, guys been at it for so many years. But a lot of um, European people living in the city now um, sell a lot of reggae to Italians and French and stuff. 
a lot of world music, Brazilian stuff flies out the door, but it's nearly all Irish people buying it. They've, you know, DJs buying groove and stuff, but yeah, the world, world section, as I call it, seems to be really popular. Like. Uh, so John, just a personal question, you know, yeah. if you're on holidays or if you go to a different city, do you find yourself seeking out other record shops? Yes, instantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, my favourite place is um, Amsterdam, just for two shops, Concerto and uh, Distortion Records. And um, Distortion is just one of those places that if you're into digging, as they call it, getting down your hands and knees and going through boxes and boxes of records, you're in heaven. It can take eight hours to go through that shop. And Concerto in Amsterdam is probably Europe's best record shop, in my opinion. It's just got everything you want, you know. But yeah, every city I go to, first thing is record shops. Has to be every time. And bookshops. Is there any record that you really, really love that you haven't been able to get into the store? There's one or two I'd love for myself, but generally I try not to go too mad because I have a lot of records myself, but there's nothing I'm desperate for, but there's a few I'd really, really love, you know, but I'm, I'm patient. I'll wait till I find them one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us what they are? Um, Baby Yui is just his album. It's just a soul masterpiece, and I'm a massive Fall fan, and when you turn into a Fall addict, you end up buying every record, so there's one or two that I'd still like, but... I haven't seen him yet, so I don't do online record shopping. To me, that's just not not for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So do you still go to the same distributors? Your, your mates in London, are they gone now? Or? Um, they're all gone now, unfortunately. Um, I now buy all the records from Austria, Germany, Holland, um, but they're all in the same problem in that they export them out of England and then the price obviously has gone up to cover their costs but now you're seeing more pressing plants in Europe so Holland is still the best place for buying records wholesale for dealers and stuff you know most of it now comes from Holland and Sweden. In terms of just the day-to-day of the record store yeah. um, you know you open your doors 11 to 6 yeah. how much effort goes into getting the records? The new records is not too much work it's kind of keeping up to date with what's out and I probably put like 400 new and secondhand records a week through the shop, but finding secondhand records constantly is tough work. But it's, I'm lucky in that I know like some dealers in Sweden, Denmark, and those guys have always got massive quantities of records, so it's just literally picking and choosing what you want. But that's kind of time-consuming. Do you have uh, customers that would prefer to buy original over a new record? Uh, lots and lots of people. Like You get a lot of people who only want first pressings, um, I'll call them the first pressing crew. They're obsessed with like the collecting thing, you know. But then you get other people who just don't mind whatsoever, whether it's new record, old, they just want the music. It doesn't matter if it's a first pressing, second pressing. And a lot of people will go for new records for certain things and then secondhand Bob Dylan's and stuff. It's always secondhand. People prefer the originals of those records, I think. For anybody who might be thinking about starting out or opening up a yeah. record shop, have you yeah. any advice? Just keep the doors open. I know it sounds stupid, but um, a friend of mine had a bookshop and he was always say, look, open when your business is meant to be open and close when it's meant to be closed. Just keep it going the whole time. And it's just knowledge. You think you know about records, but you don't. You find out something new every single day. I thought I knew about records, but I my knowledge is limited compared to some of my customers. You know, yeah. you'd be amazed what you learn off other people. Um, just go for it. Yeah, I've I've always wanted a record shop and I've done it with little or no money. So, yeah, I started this place with 350 quid in my pocket. So and no, no, like 
borrowing money or and it just grew you know so take it slowly start on a market or selling out the back of a van i don't know but start small and just build it up thanks a million for coming on john no worries dave thank um, you give us one more tune to play us yeah. out so go for a really i love this band they're called back to the planet they were a kind of old um uh squat punk band from back in the day and the track is called please don't fight to Keeping Track every Thursday at midday on UCC 98.3 FM. Keeping Track is a music and interview program hosted by Dave Hackett. I play alternative music based on a theme and I interview people from all different backgrounds in our community to talk about what it is they do and to play the music that inspires them. Listen back to previous interviews and playlists on my SoundCloud page or on the station's podcast channel on Spotify. 
Stay up to date with the show on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Keeping track every Thursday from 12 to 1 here on UCC 98.3 FM.